Why is it that we've always been so obsessed with how magic tricks are done? You ever think about that? Like, why are we always trying to look under the hood on all these really cool movies and projects that we're putting together? Is it maybe because we have become so obsessed with going to an imaginary world and designing imaginary worlds and living in imaginary world? I mean, I know that that's why I got into filmmaking was because I wanted to, for even for like a week, be able to live in the world of Blade Runner, you know? And I mean, how many people line up down at Disneyland or Disney World to go uh, ride in the Millennial Falcon, you know? Um, it's so fascinating to me because most people don't give a shit about other businesses. No one really wants to know you know, how a dry cleaning operation works. No, most people don't want to know how a plumber fixes a toilet, you know, but this, this business, everybody's so fascinated with how it's done. How you, how do you, how do you make it? And if you're a filmmaker, if you're a young filmmaker, an aspiring filmmaker, it's great because we now live in a time period where you literally can Google any technique that's used in cinema and basically learn how to do it. You know, um, it's the art of practicing that technique that makes you a storyteller. But you can learn how to create a spaceship and have it fly through a scene. You can learn how to, uh, you know, block out a sequence, an action sequence. You can learn how to score or, or use a program that creates orchestra sounding, orchestra level scores. Uh, it's pretty awesome, you know. And I've been doing this shit now for mm, 19 years. And so when I started, um, back in the old days, uh, the internet was just starting out and, um, you know, they had DVDs and DVD commentaries, you know, and, and then I would have a subscription to American Cinematographer and just desperately trying to weed through the, the PR bullshit to see exactly how they rigged this thing into the sky or what lights they were using. And, you know, it was, it was always really difficult at that time to do that stuff. And when you go back to being a kid too, it's like, when did the public, like the average Joe guy, when did he give a fuck about how effects were made? And you know, when I think about it and you, you dig deep, I think it's Jurassic Park. I really do. I think it's Spielberg's Jurassic Park because I remember going to see that movie in the cinema. In the cinema, guys, wow. You know, uh, going to see that in the theater and sitting there and in, in awe, going, oh, oh my God, they got dinosaurs. Like, how did they breed dinosaurs? Hold on a second. Is one of LA's finest is probably hunting down some sort of criminal with his helicopter right now. There we go. Um, how do they breed fucking dinosaurs? Where do these dinosaurs come from? Uh, and then I think it was at that time period, because honestly, I think they were just they had a lot of bravado because they created these dinosaurs and they felt so real that normally the EPK or the press kits that they make are usually industry only. They're usually internal or before that they were internal where they would send it around and brag about how they did their effects and stuff. And that would help them get Academy nominations and all that sort of stuff. But they did that with Jurassic Park to the public. That became part of their uh, promo campaign for a lot of it, especially as you start to get into uh, video cassette uh, and video releases. And so then they started to show how they made the puppets and how they created 
the CGI. And it was a huge jump. I mean, the fact that I think that movie was one of the first that ever did animal creatures in CGI. I'm going to totally fuck that up. I know James Cameron was messing around with it prior to that. And Lucas has always been in that game. And I think it was ILM that did that. But how do, how do we know about this? How do I know about this? You know, as a young kid, uh, why do I need to know about dinosaurs and how they were made? Uh, and I'd go 50-50 on this. You know, as a filmmaker that wants to learn and wants access to all this stuff, I love the fact that this, this exists. Um, but as a storyteller now and as a director, I don't like the fact that people are looking so far underneath the hood on stuff because a, a lot of times it, it, it pulls the suspension of disbelief for folks where they are too hyper-focused on the graphics or they're too hyper-focused on the techniques and the details and they're not necessarily involved with the story. Now, I know what you... What you're saying, it's like, oh, well, that's on me because then maybe my story's not that interesting. Maybe my story uh, doesn't pull together the way it's supposed to and make you really lose yourself in the film. And that, that's, that's my fault if that's the case, for sure. Um, but it's really difficult to do so. Like Everybody's a cynic right now when they watch movies because they all know how it's made. So yeah, I don't know, I'm 50-50 on it. Um, and today's guest, is someone that is deep in both these worlds. Uh, he's deep into creating his own content and creating stories and, and doing really amazing short films, like really fantastic stuff um, that the quality level, when you watch it, it's like, Jesus Christ, what was your budget for this thing? Um, but then he, he does the complete opposite end of it where he opens the doors and shows you exactly how it's made, exactly how it's all put together. Um, and I stumbled across him years ago uh honestly because i was trying to figure out how to do something i was going through and looking to figure out a technique i don't know if it had something to do with editing i can't remember specifics but uh i did a google search and the first thing that came up was this program called film riot now there's a lot of you guys that are listening to the show that know film riot and know that sound that rings in the background what a fucking professional god damn it my email <laughs> There's a lot of you listeners out there that know Film Riot, uh, and and you, it's a place that you go to all the time to learn about filmmaking, to learn about uh, how a young director uh, is able to do stuff at the scale that he that he does. Um, and some of you guys listen to the podcast, Film Riot's podcast, um, and that was the first time that I actually had an exchange with our guest today, uh, because I was actually able to go on his podcast, uh, God, a couple months ago. Uh, longer than that dickhead it was a while ago but uh, I really got along with him uh, his name is Ryan Conley and Ryan Conley is the dude behind Film Riot uh, he's an amazing uh, indie filmmaker uh, he's doing the same grind that I've been doing for years which is uh, trying to prove to the people with cash that we know what the fuck we're doing um, and uh, he's really good at it man and if you go through his website and check out his work you can either go to, I think it's ryanconley.com, or you can go through Film Riot um, on uh, YouTube, and you'll see some of his shorts. He's got uh, Ballistic, which is this amazing uh, action piece. Uh, even some of his smaller pieces, like Hall Fight, and the stunt work in Hall Fight is really great. Um, and uh, Sentinel's really cool, too. And it's, it's obvious that what he's doing is studying these techniques. And he's smart about it, because he uh, created another outlet 
which I assume is creating some good revenue. Film Riot's got to be doing great because they're on their 10th year, 10 year anniversary. Um, and they're very popular, widely popular YouTube uh, channel. And I'd love to talk to them about that stuff because uh, I'm kind of in the same boat, not at their level, but for me, it's time management. So it's like, how much time do I spend doing this show? How much time do I spend talking to you guys about what it is that I'm doing? And then how much time do I actually spend making things? Um, which is fascinating. Uh, and I wonder if he's got the same problem that I do, which is I want to do a hundred fucking things. And so I spread myself out incredibly thin uh, and I really don't have time for anything else. <laughs> and and then the, the, the worry on my end is like, am I spending too much time doing one over the other? Um, and that was part of the reason of for my last, for my big move here to Los Angeles is that I was really trying to refine it to get out, out of the corporate world and the commercial world uh, and dabble in it a bit while I'm out here, but really hyper-focus myself down into storytelling. Um, and, you know, I'll be 100% transparent with you guys. The reason why, the only reason why I'm still doing this podcast is because this podcast helps me uh, as a filmmaker. Not only do I make great connections and meet people that I want to work with, um, but I also have an outlet to t tell stories and to keep myself sane as we sit around and we wait for these movies to happen. And I know that Ryan's waiting for a lot of films to happen too. He's, he's literally got the same sort of tra uh, trajectory as I do as a, as a director. So it'll be fascinating to get into all this stuff on the show. So hopefully uh, we'll get some stuff out of him that he hasn't already told you <laughs> on YouTube. Um, so if you guys love filmmaking, if you guys get nerdy about how movies are made, um, and if you guys want to uh, be a director at some, some point, I think this is going to be the episode for you. Uh, and I just want to say this. Thank you, everybody, for consistently uh, supporting the show and following us. Uh, you follow me on Instagram. That's Mike Petchy at Instagram. And you also follow the podcast that's in love with the process. Pod in love with the process. P-O-D on Instagram. Um, and there you guys have been really uh, giving me great feedback on the shows. And I appreciate the shit out of that. Uh, and I don't know when this episode is going to come out. It may come out prior to or after when I do this thing, but I'll talk about it anyways. I'm putting together uh, the opportunity for you guys to see, the fans, to see my last pitch film, which is Who's There. And uh, I'm, I'm literally only giving out private links um, to fans. Um, and so I'll be offering it up for a small fee, um, but included with the pitch film will be your own very private, uh, very contained uh, podcast. And on that podcast, I'll be interviewing uh, crew members and actors, people that have worked on that film to give you a greater understanding of all the details that went into it um, and how we made it and why we did it. And when you watch the piece, Again, after listening to that podcast, uh, it might uh, enrich the experience for you. Listen to me doing exactly what I was talking about before, where I'm letting you in. <laughs> this is how my hot rod works. Check under the hood, man. You know, it's. I think it's. I think it's great for you guys because you guys really give a shit about this, and you guys really want to learn more about filmmaking and. This is a resource for you. This is why I'm not just dumping it online. I'm not putting it out there on YouTube. I'm not letting everybody in the world see it. Just the people that give a shit. And that's kind of what I do on the show. So uh, stay tuned. 
make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to us on Apple uh, Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, whatever the outlet is uh, that you enjoy listening to podcasts on. And when you do subscribe and you do listen, please rate the show and leave a comment. It helps. The algorithms pay attention to all that shit. Um, and I want more folks like you who don't know I exist out there to be listening to the show. Um, and all these, like, Instagram, everybody else is trying to keep me from advertising to you guys unless I pay them to do so. So fuck that. You guys can do the advertising because if you like the show, spread the word, tell people. I love you guys if you do it. Okay. Um, so yeah, enough ranting, enough raving, enough talking out of my fucking ass, because what the hell do I know? Uh, let's get somebody on the show who probably knows more than me. <laughs> Most likely knows more than me. Uh, so you know the deal. Uh, find that comfy couch, uh, that hopefully you have in your apartment. If not, then, you know, enjoy your uh, pillow on top of a milk crate. Uh, grab your noise-canceling headphones because we all know that we uh, spend our money on gear when we should be spending it on life things. And uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. Thanks for being on the show, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate you taking the time from your busy schedule uh, to come talk on my piece of shit podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to do it. <laughs> uh, it's been a while, man. I think the last time we chatted was when I was on your show and I had a really good time talking with you, buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I think that was like almost a year ago now. Was it a year? Jesus Christ, man. I feel I like think I... think so. I feel like I'm sleeping in a DeLorean. That's basically know, what's going I on. I know, man. I've been saying the same thing. It's like, especially like, you know, because you're developing a bunch of stuff. It's like, yeah. you turn around and you're like, we've been trying to make this move for how long now? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I hate it. What Like for 12KM, I built a website. Uh, it was like a Tumblr page when we started the thing. And every year it sends me like a happy anniversary. And it's just <laughs> fucking depressing. <laughs> Stop <laughs> reminding me. <laughs> it hasn't happened. <laughs> I know, Tumblr. I know. <laughs> Tumblr's a real asshole, man. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like that friend that keeps pointing out how fat you're getting. You know what I yeah. mean? It's like, <laughs> you're like, I'm going to work out next week. Yeah, fuck you, dude. Fuck, I'm going to keep eating. I'm going to kill myself on this shit. I'm just, I'm just going to start on Monday because nobody starts midweek. That's weird. I'll start Monday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So <clears throat> what's new with you, brother? How's life? It's good, man. I'm working on a uh, proof of concept that I'm releasing on Monday, uh, which will be the 28th. I've uh, been developing a feature behind the scenes for a little over a year. Um, and then just all the, you know, triune, my company stuff, film riot, all that stuff still just chugging along. Yeah, man. I, I saw that you get your, that you're putting out a proof of concept. It looks pretty cool. Uh, Thanks. Look, it looks like we're both barking up the same fucking tree. You're doing a, a, a movie about uh, knocking on a door, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, there comes a knocking. 
Uh, yeah. well, I mean, it's, I guess it's not about a knocking on a door, but I mean, it revolves around a knocking on a door, certainly. <laughs> um, but it's no, like it's, a sort of just a uh, plucked out of the, well, it's it's not even like um, plucked out of the feature, really. I don't, I don't know how, how, because I don't think I ever read your your script for 12KM. So I don't know no. if, did you pluck out a like a sequence from the film or did you make something totally separate that just kind of, showed what the film will be like well the start of it because i i had originally written uh my shitty draft uh when i was uh, recovering from the head injury um and in my draft it took place more in like modern time period and it was about like losing your internal voice losing control of your internal voice and that's when i sort of tied in like where did this thing come from and that's what i tied in the whole russian hole and all that shit and um Initially, in that version, it was just like the cold open. So it was like 1980s Russia, boom, you know, and then oh, you're, okay. yeah. you're in the movie. And when I was like, well, hey, I'm going to do a short version of this. And I've talked about this on the show. If, I, when I, if I'm going to do a short version of this, uh, I need to stretch it out and I need to make it into something interesting. And so uh, it it isn't like verbatim pulled from the script, but it was essentially whatever the cold open for my version of the movie was going to be, which is thus That's changed really cool. two or three times through the draft process. <laughs> yeah, of course, as it does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I, I, I couldn't really bring myself to pluck a moment out because there wasn't really, I don't really have like a cold open and uh, I, I just felt like it would be taking too much away anywhere else in the story. So it's just, I kind of wrote something. My thinking was like, it happened before the events of the feature. So it's like this thing happened to someone else somewhere else. But it's, you know, same tone, same theme. So I got to play with all that stuff. Well, and that's smart, man, because you and I kind of do the same thing. Um, it, creating these shorts is, a, is the only way. <laughs> the only way sometimes we can convince people uh, being, you know, quote unquote, uh, a 19-year in the business first time director. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's hard to reconcile sometimes. So it's like, but I've made 16 short films. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I've directed on giant union crews and done all this uh-huh. shit before. What's exactly. the fucking difference, man? You know? Yeah. 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 Uh, it's just stamina really is what I, I think the difference is. Um, but you know, yeah, these people, yeah, they're looking for cash, sense. you know? Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah. And uh, that's definitely something that I've I've learned over the past like year and a half is like, you know, having something tangible that they can sink their teeth into and wrap their head around is definitely a massive leg up to actually making something move in any real way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then um, let me stop you for a sec. It's really hard to hear you for some reason through this setup. Are you close to whatever? Are you using your laptop? Is that what it is? Uh, no, I'm on AirPods. Oh, okay. I got you. I got you now. All right. Weird. I just couldn't hear you for a half second there. <clears throat> oh, is um, it, is it, uh, am I good now? Yeah, I, I can hear you. That's cool. Okay. And you're, you're also recording on your end, so we should be fine. Yeah. And I see, I actually see the waveform of my voice going down, um, in that pocket you stopped me too. That's weird. Yeah, it was weird. I think it's just cause I think it's when it goes to the internet, like right now the internet has got all this weird fucking noise on it. It's fine. We'll be good. Gotcha. Okay. Um, Awesome. So, so yeah, how's your experience been? Um, because you're out there pitching stuff now. You're out here, rather, pitching stuff in Los Angeles, trying to get a movie made. How's your experience been with that? 
It's been really good. I mean, I haven't done the pitch tour just yet. It's been all development so far. But uh, thanks to Ballistic, I you know I, I was contacted by a lot of producers and and um, it, you know to develop a feature version of that sort of thing, and then that led to me getting managers, and uh, then I was developing that for a bit. Um, but that's you know a really large project for again a quote unquote first time director. So yeah, uh, I showed my managers um, this film that I've been working on you know for the last six seven years uh, called There Comes a Knocking, and they they really responded to it. Thankfully, um, well f- well funny enough, it's like an idea that I've had for six or seven years, but like about a year and a half ago, two years ago, I finally figured out my way into it. Uh, I was having a really hard time sort of fleshing it out. But then once I realized that it was about a different character than I thought it was about, that all <laughs> of a sudden everything started falling into place. And I'm like, oh, that's that's the movie. Um, so, so that really started falling into place uh, probably like mid-2018. Then Ballistic happened. And, and There Comes a Knocking is really kind of, you know, my baby. That's my that's the one I'm most passionate about. So when I showed it to them and they responded to it, that was, you know, really great that, you know, that could potentially be the thing that I do first. So then uh, we'd been developing that for quite a while. Um, and that's been mostly what I've been, you know, ex- experiencing and a, a lot of different meetings with producers, just, you know, more of the generals. Who yeah. are you? Who am I? You know, hi, this is what I want to do. This, do you have anything? Well, I have these things. Okay, I'll never talk to you again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, that yeah. whole song and dance. Uh, oh, yeah. So there's been a lot of that as well. Um, but um, mostly I, I, I kind of once, uh, you know, Luke Maxwell and Will Robotham, my, my two managers, uh, once they really responded to There Comes a Knocking, I kind of stepped back from everything else and have just been fully focusing on that. Because like I said, this has been like a dream project for me for like the last five, six years. Um, Fuck yeah. So, so I'm, I'm just really hoping and trying to make this one go through. But you know how that goes. You, know? you do your best, but who freaking knows? Dude, and you just don't, you don't know, man, because we talked, we talked about uh, 12 Cam on, when I was on your show, and that was, you know, that dream, dream story, dream passion thing, and the whole ordeal, and then uh, getting hooked up with the production company that I am hooked up with, and the, the level that these guys do things, and then yeah. coming to <clears throat> terms with the fact that, that, that they're having trouble uh, making the film because I don't have a feature film. So you're in this whole, what comes first, the chicken or the fucking egg game. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, like is how- it a budget thing for you? Is, is the budget a little, you know, I, over, I, the, you know, the well, five dude, range? I'm, I'm making a, <laughs> I'm making a movie that takes place in Russia. Uh, <laughs> I'm making a movie, I'm making a movie about a Russian drill team and then a creature <laughs> that is in the thing that isn't easily defined. So it's yeah. not like, hey, this is a movie about a fucking vampire. You know what I mean? Like it's totally, it's this biological A little, little bit thing. of a harder sell. What's that? A little bit of a harder sell, just to just to yeah, dude. Easy. And it's it's not that they don't think it can can be done amazingly. They love it, um, but it's when you start talking to finance people, and these are the type of people that are just like, let's make an us or like a you know, let's yeah. make a fucking self contained movie that costs us nothing, and then we can make both loads of cash you know what i mean yeah uh-huh <laughs> and, and, and you're like well this still costs nothing in comparison to what that is this is actually actually nothing nothing and then you see the kind of work that i could do and i could make it look like it costs like 20 times what this actually costs yeah um, exactly but it, it just comes down to 
I think what it is is that our business is so oversaturated with folks like you and me that are just mm-hmm. like, I want to make fucking movies, man. And these guys can be super picky and they can really just pluck all the low hanging fruit, like just the simple packaged things where they're just like, this is, I don't have to do any fucking work. You know, yep, I can this just, is, this is going to work. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I, I, that's a big, <laughs> there are people out here that are really not against that, which uh, we're also working with because I think I sent you my short. I did that other short. Who's there. Um, and that no, I one, think I, I saw that one. Is that one newer? That's a newer one. Yeah. I did that one. Um, Oh God. When did I do that one? I did that one probably a year ago, year and change ago. Um, and, uh, it's sort of a self-contained kind of, uh, house thing. It's, it's probably similar to the thing that you're working on. (laughs) (laughs) Really? What's it about? (laughs) It's, it's a, it's a short called who's there. Uh, and it's basically, uh, a piece about a child abduction. Um, it's a horror movie around a child abduction and, uh, these, these parents that are haunted by knocks on a door after that. <laughs> See, dude, maybe I just ripped you off. <laughs> <laughs> you got to send me that. I want, I want to see that now. Yeah, I'll send it to you, man. Uh, <laughs> it's something that I had put together in the interim of doing 12 cam. Yeah. And, and, uh, basically I've talked about this a little bit on the other shows, but when I went around and I did that sort of dog and pony show, you know, where you're pitching to all these production studios, there were a bunch of places that were like, we love it. It's a little too ambitious for us or it doesn't fit our fucking model. And I was like, well, what's your model? And so a lot of these places, they broke it down for me where they're like, we need to have this type of movie poster, this type of like marketing, this kind of thing. And so I ended up just coming back and and talking to my writing partner and uh, I was like, let's just do an exercise. Let's do an exercise in which we're writing within the confines of what these models are. And if we come up with something that we really like, then let's go with it. If not, then fuck it. We'll just go back and do weird Russian whole things. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we, uh, we dicked around f- for a few months while waiting to hear back on whether or not 12Cam was going to get a production company. And in the amount of time that it took us to hear uh, whether or not we had interest from this production company, we literally uh, wrote the tr- the treatment. I shot the fucking movie. I edited the piece, put it together, uh, and had it done by the time we had a response from 12KM and literally showed up to our management and was like, here's the short. Here's the script. <laughs> it's crazy. Fucking sell it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, so has that one found more traction than 12KM yes. then? Yes. Really? This one actually will probably happen first. That's so that it, that's like exactly my my story. Yeah, that ballistic was too big, and we it just wasn't getting any traction. And there comes a knocking. Will probably ha- happen first. <laughs> we should just release them same weekend, and we'll call it the knockings verse. <laughs> I fucking love it. I love it, man. We'll just create a whole knocking cinematic universe. <laughs> I think it's a perfect day. You have to come out here. We'll just go out drinking, opening weekend, and we'll make we'll it shoot into them a both back to back. And we'll make it into a drinking game. <laughs> I think it's fucking fantastic, dude. I, I think it's perfect. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, man, it's like, that's why I'm pumped to have you on the show because I feel like you and I are going through the same shit. Um, 
and we're kind of at the same stages in our career. So it's it's just fascinating to have a brother at arms with this shit. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, can, can, can relate. <laughs> <laughs> so where are you at now? You uh, you finished the short. You're about to release it when on Monday. Is that what you said? Yep, finished the short, releasing it on uh, Monday, and now I'm working on another draft of the script to fix some uh, some logic issues. Because I often, especially with something like this, I'm writing off, which I think you probably do too, based off 12KM, but I might you know be wrong, is I write heavily based off of theme. So mm-hmm. uh, when I wrote the film, everything that happens makes complete sense to the theme and the character arc, but there were some surface logic issues with the horror element um that didn't quite jive so i had to go back and uh figure out a way to make the surface rules uh make complete sense while not affecting you know the thematic elements mm-hmm. and uh, I found that has been the hardest thing to do yet because I'm a big fan of, you know, staying uh, ambiguous and, uh, you know, not answering things and, and, and doing it very thematically, you know, the annihilation and things like that. I love that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I get, you know, the majority of the audience is not going to watch a film that way and they're not going to just think about what's under the hood. They, you know, they want to, you know, a surface story that makes sense as well. And I mean, mostly the story makes sense. It was just some of those rules. So solving those problems, um, had been a little bit of a struggle, but you know, I finally had those eureka moments where it's like, especially when I don't know about you, but you'll have these huge script problems where you're like, I'm gonna have to rewrite this whole thing to make this work. And then <laughs> finally, you get the lightning strike where it's the simplest change of like, oh, they had never been to that place yet. Oh, yeah. that fixes it. <laughs> it's <just laughs> like, how, how am I just now, after two months of like beating my head against the wall, how am I just now thinking of that simple, simple solution? <laughs> so now yeah. the, the, the film comes out on Monday. Um, I'm hoping to have uh, the new draft done in about two weeks because uh, the short has taken some time away from uh, working on that, obviously. And, you know, see where we're at from them, from that, you know, get all the feedback, see if the script's ready. And once the script's ready, then we'll, we'll uh, take it out and try to get it set up somewhere. Nice. Are you talking to a specific production company at this point? Like, are they waiting for the script or are you just dealing with your management? No, just dealing with the management. Um, there's a couple of places that we know for sure we're taking it to. Uh, yep. And a couple of producers that I've talked to, but no specific production company that uh, is, is waiting for the script. I can give you some insight into what we went through. Um, yeah, please do. Because uh, we did that bit where we turned in the short, we turned in a, a version of the script, um, and Will Simmons does most of my writing now. Like I, I know that I'm not as uh, as good of a writer as he is. So you know, being a good collaborator, I understand when to go, dude, do your thing. Um, and so he wrote like a really fantastic script. Uh, and then we went out to all the production companies and we did that run. And, uh, one thing that we, uh, we learned, um, was that, uh, for instance, we went and talked to a production company that makes movies that, uh, that do really well in the theater. They're like high budget. Um, I don't want to say who the company is, but, uh, they, they, they're ghost stories. There's a lot of ghost stories. It story starts with a war, <laughs> Warner. <laughs> so we go to this, we go to this company and we, we set, we show them the idea and, uh, they, they're like, we love the short shorts really great. Uh, we read the script and, uh, we're going to pass on it. And it's like, okay. And, and 
you know, the management, they, they the one, they're the, usually the ones that get back to you and they're like, so they're going to pass on it. And I'm just like, why, why? Yeah. Like, yeah. why are they, why are they fucking, pa- like literally I followed the rules of what they do. Why are they fucking passing on this thing? And the management's just like, oh, you know, and you know, me being a dick, I had the guy's email. So I just write directly to the producer and I'm like, dude, what, what the fuck? <laughs> Like, like, like literally I was there hanging out and we talked about this and it's, it's literally built to fit within your thing. And he's like, yeah, we love the short. We love all that stuff. But the, uh, the script is too sinister. And I was like, didn't you guys make a movie called sinister? Like how the fuck? (laughs) Uh Oh, I think I know a production company. (laughs) Whoops. Uh, so, uh, but what we did, which is interesting and, and, and not to give anything away in the script, but we had our main characters, our, our, our family forced into having to murder people. And every, every production company, every studio was like, we don't want to do that. And, and it was a hundred percent because they thought that there wasn't a way to identify with the family and they're, they're aiming for that low hanging fruit. Yeah. Um, and they were just like, it's too, it's too evil. <laughs> right. And we think you need to see someone. <laughs> I'm like, dude, it's a fucking horror movie. It's the yeah. whole purpose of it. It's supposed to be evil, man. Um, so we ended up having to change some of that stuff. And we ended up in the room with our management after that. And they were like tearing through the script. And we had this meeting that was like this whirlwind of like, you should change this character, this character should be a woman, this should happen, this should happen. I remember walking out of that meeting and and turning to Will and just being like, dude, what the fuck happened? What what are we doing? You know, what what is this movie now? Yeah. Um, and uh, we ended up doing those notes and then went out for a whole nother round. And then we're getting rejections based off those notes for that whole other round. Um, and the production company, which I'm not going to say who it is yet, but the production company that we ended up with read our script and they were like, um, this feels like it's full of notes and they would call out specific scenes and like, does this, was this a studio note? And we're like, yup. Was this a note? Yup. That's a note. And so this production company, who's really cool, uh, they were just like, we want to make the scary movie that you want to make. What's the movie that you want to make? Um, and let's work together on that. And so we ended up working with these guys, uh, for about four months, five months, just outlining the movie to the point where they're like, we love this outline. If you guys can write the script, then we'll make the movie. And uh, Will's been on it for about a month. That's so. amazing, man. That's yeah. crazy. That's, that's great that they could see like where it was being noted to death and just watered down. Yeah, dude, it's nuts, man. Because these these places are looking for these specific tropes. And these tropes just drive me. I don't know if you're the same way I am. But every time I watch a fucking show and I'm just like, yes, her husband beat her. Yes, I get it. Fuck. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And they love that shit where they're just like, you know, wouldn't it be cool? And they feel like it's a really cool idea. Wouldn't it be cool if like he had an alcohol problem? And I'm like, yeah, like, like the last movie that just came out? <laughs> last 20? Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it, it's 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 those things that don't feel organic to the story at all. They feel like you know uh, forced in for this reason or that. I suppose that's why they could see the notes because it doesn't feel like it's needed to the character or to the theme. It's just this, you know, it's those surface audience stuff that drives me a little bit crazy sometimes. I don't know. <laughs> We've been like my my latest thing that I've been deciding is that when I go into pitches now. 
uh, people are less concerned about like the cool idea. Yeah. And they're more concerned about like, what are the character tropes? Um, and so I've been changing the way that I'm doing my pitches. Here's, here's a secret that I'm letting out to everybody. I'm changing the way that I'm doing my pitches now. And I'm starting with character and go in the room and it's like, it's this dude that has this and has this and has that. And they're like, oh yeah, I love that kind of person. You go now put him in the fucking Russia in the 1980s. And, and I've, I see- I've noticed that as well. Some of the first, uh, pitches I did to producers on, um, ideas to elaborate on ballistic, the notes mm-hmm. I kept getting back was, yeah, but who's this character? Yeah. Every time. So I was like, all right, well, let me lead with that. And I, that's exactly what happened with Ballistic as well, is I, I made it all about who the uh, the lead was, and then things started changing from there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it makes sense because it's it's how they market a film, it's how they sell a film, it's how they get an actor to get attached to the film, and all those things are important to get it made, especially when you're in our boat, which is like, who are these guys? What are these guys talking <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, and you are... <laughs> all right all right we're on a good tangent here but let me get back into it because i want to i want to dig a little bit deeper into you and and how you got started with this and then film riot and all that kind of stuff sure. um how did you get started in filmmaking man when did you decide that you wanted to be a director uh well i've 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 I knew I wanted to make movies since I was, I don't even know how young. My parents say six. I usually say eight. Uh, but I just remember when my dad came home with a video camera and that was that. You know, I was I was making my own short films from then on out. Um, and then I went to film school a little bit late. I think it was like 20, 21, so 2004-ish. Uh, uh-huh. And then after film school, you know, just doing any short film or, you know, recording my, you know, friend's band for free. Anything that I could do that would be visual uh, to, to sharpen the skills and try to start building a resume. Um, then I ran, ran Alienware's uh, video studio for a long time. And, uh, you know, while there, just the frustration of not having that forward momentum, I was making stuff, but nobody was seeing the stuff I was making. Um, and then a friend wanted to go to uh, film school, but couldn't, didn't have the resources. And you remember back then, like 2007, 2008, there, there really wasn't any information to be found online or anything like that. Um, the only stuff out there was like any mogul and, uh, you know, Philip Bloom was doing like can- camera reviews and, and Andrew was doing like after effects tutorials, but any mogul was like all props and, you know, DIY uh-huh. prop builds and stuff like that. So I thought, man, how cool would it be to, to start this thing that, uh, would follow me in my career and not be like, Hey, let me teach you how to make films, but be like, Hey, here's what I know right now. And I'm trying to make films. Cause I, you know, I was very aware at how green I was and inexperienced and how much I had to learn. So the show show was very much about backyard filmmaking. You know, I, I'm sure I went to film school and I've been doing it for like five years, but I still, I didn't have a network. I didn't know very much. It was like, you know, follow me along doing this. And Maybe that'll create a community that, you know, worst come to worst, at least I can make stuff for them. And, you know, mm-hmm. that'll, that's something. Um, and, and in the meantime, you know, you know, help putting some, you know, what I do know out there and what I do learn out there. Um, but as far as knowing when I wanted to be a director, I think uh, Jurassic Park, you know, watching that in the theaters, uh, <laughs> once it said directed by Steven Spielberg, I was like, what does that mean? Because it is like seeing that film, I was 11 and my parents were pretty strict. So I wasn't allowed to see stuff like that. Really. If my parents knew what kind of movie it was, I probably wouldn't have seen it at 11 years old, but I was like a dinosaur freak. So they let my brother take me to it. And so I had never had the experience of feeling so unsafe in a completely safe 
safe space before and like worried about these characters thinking like they might die, <laughs> even though I know they're just actors. But all that suspension of disbelief was, you know, it completely worked for me. And, uh, you know, I remember even in moments being like, no, I remember seeing her in another scene in the trailer. She's not going to die. She's not going to die. You know, so having that experience was what really like locked it into like what is a director because you know I because right after the film I became obsessed with it I found every magazine and book I could find that talked about it and then I found out oh it's the vision of this Spielberg guy the Spielberg guy is the one who made me feel this way well it's a director well what the hell is a director and then that that was that that I just wanted to be able to craft something like that for an audience as well to 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 make that sort of experience so that that's what really locked me into the idea of directing and and you know creating that for uh, uh, an audience it, member it's so funny that you mentioned because i literally before we started talking recorded the intro to the show <laughs> and i was talking about jurassic park <laughs> I, was, I was talking about jurassic park and and this is relevant to what you do at film right because i was saying that even before Jurassic Park, because th- I'm a little bit older than you are, not much, but a little bit. Um, I remember watching movies like, you know, Indiana Jones and fucking all like the great Spielberg movies. And I was just a, I was just a kid watching movies. I didn't even fucking think about it. I mean, I wasn't an idiot. I didn't think that inside this box there was this world and there was a guy running around. But I just didn't even make the connection. I didn't make the connection that there were yeah. people doing it. And it wasn't until fucking Jurassic Park. And I think that... Jurassic Park kind of changed the way people see movies, like the, the audience sees movies, because I think that was the first time that they were really doing behind the scenes shit on television. And they were doing behind oh, okay. the scenes shit in their advertising. And like, if you got the VHS tape, there was behind the scene clips on like, here's how we made the dinosaurs. And I think that really changed how the audience watches movies from that point on, because now we're a culture that is obsessed with what it happens behind the curtain and how did these yeah. magic tricks come to, to play? You know, I think we might be just alternate versions of each other. <laughs> <laughs> Cause that's the same like, thing. Like I saw Indiana Jones before Jurassic park, you know, like on VHS <laughs> or whatever. And, you know, so they could close my eyes and whatnot, but I was the same way. I, I mean, I liked the movies, but it just didn't click like Jurassic park did. Yeah. Jurassic park was the one that clicked like, Oh, Spielberg did this, you know, before that it was like you said, you just don't really think about it. Yeah, right. You're right. It's like, I just watched the fucking like diehard, you know, I just watched the movies. I didn't, I didn't ask like how they blew up the building. I just assumed that they blew up a building. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you know what, dude, as, as, uh, as ridiculous as that sounds for a lot of the younger listeners, the younger listeners are like, well, obviously they fucking did effects, blah, blah, blah. I enjoy it more actually. And, and it, it took me so long because once I became obsessed with filmmaking and then I, I really got into how it was made. And there was a period in time in my mid-20s where all my friends and myself were just watching fucking movies and processing them and taking them apart and going like, how'd they get this fucking shot? And and what is this blocking? And how did they get this effect? And it really became like work to me. And I started to lose that ability the, the magic, to be... Yeah. yeah, to be that six-year-old fucking kid watching a movie again. Uh, and I had to force myself back into it where like, I just, I think I just started going to see Michael Bay Transformers movies, pretending like I was six years old and, <laughs> and I was like, please, please bring it back. Uh, yeah. And 
I don't know if you felt the same way because you're oh, man. constantly dissecting movies and shit. Yeah, one hundred percent relate to that. I've, I've talked about at the, talked about that exact thing on the show as well. Like I uh, being able to just disconnect the filmmaker brain and enjoy a film, you know, like you used to. It's yeah. a really difficult thing to achieve. Sometimes I, I do, certainly. But I, I feel like I can do it now after you know a long enough period of time. But mm-hmm. if something is you know uh, below or far above average, all of a sudden that filmmaker brain flicks on and you're like, wow, that was really effective. What did they do to make it so effective? <laughs> you just can't help it. It just starts rolling. And it's like, damn it, no, just <laughs> watch the movie. <laughs> Um, so I mean, I mean, you know, like Marvel movies and stuff. I'm usually able to just you know flip that switch off and and enjoy it for what it is. But uh, even in those, you know, like um, I, I really like the way the Russo brothers handle action. So uh, often within their set pieces, yeah. that flips on, and I'm thinking about how they're pacing it out, which is annoying because I agree with you. I would much rather like just. Uh, find that magic again. I talk about it a lot with the people I work with. Like, how do you get that magic? Even the way uh, films coming out felt when I was young, like it was an event when a movie was coming out, like the time before and to it coming out. Uh, but uh, the, the way things are now with like social media and how you can get to trailer, like when we were young, seeing a trailer was like you had to see it in the theaters or maybe oh, yeah. you, you know, accidentally catch it during a TV show. Or uh, then they had that show on E, I think it was called uh, Coming Soon or Coming Attraction. Yes, yes, and, yes, yes. And yes, that yes. was like my jam because yes. I was like, that's how I see the trailers. Uh, so it was like there were, I think that really helped uh, separate to create a lot of magic to it too but it's like what you said like everything's behind the scenes now like there's behind the scenes featurettes a month before the film comes out anymore um, and, and then you know everybody's just jaded by everything's you know oh they just did that with a you know in computer generation of course they could do that they could do anything I think the last movie I saw where I was just truly like how the fuck did they just do that was uh, The Matrix uh-huh. Uh, which I just walked out, you know, just like, I don't understand how I saw what I just saw. But now it's like, I think even uh, Cameron said it recently, there's nothing that can't be done uh, at this point. So, I, you know, I wonder if that's a part of it. You know, like the younger crowd is growing up with that, that, yeah, anything's possible. Whereas for us, we're like, I'm sorry, a dinosaur? <laughs> <laughs> How did they breed this thing? Did they cross yeah, breed like yeah. how did chickens they, how and did dogs? They, clearly, this is an actual dinosaur. <laughs> how did they keep this a secret for so long? <laughs> what are they feeding it? <laughs> People, obviously. Oh my god, this is a documentary. I know it. <laughs> It's that time again, guys. Uh, It's time to break from the incredibly entertaining content that you've been listening to uh, and then give you more of my voice, only my voice, being the one in control of everything. (laughs) Such a director's ego. Um, Now it's time to do our ad reads. And um, these aren't just any ad reads. These are companies and people that make this show happen. And I don't know if you guys know this, but it is a fucking bitch to get sponsors. Um, And so I'm very happy to have these dudes uh, and gals uh, as supporters of the show. And I only ask and only work with 
uh, companies or products that I truly think are great and that I truly use because I've told you this before, it's not the gear that makes you the filmmaker, it's you, it's your brain, it's your experiences that make you who you are. But we're always trying to figure out how to do it easier, how to do it more affordably. Um, and that's what we're going to get into right now. So stick around. Don't fucking fast forward to this shit, man, because I'm going to give you some stuff that you may need. All right. So first up, good buddies over at Puget Systems. If you're an independent filmmaker, if you're a photographer, if you're a, uh, a music composer, or if you're just a gamer, right? And you, uh, your old computer is uh, doing the old pinwheel of death. The old crash that supposedly never happens with Macs and Apples, but they do because I just had it happen about 10 minutes ago on my laptop. Um, so if you're looking for a new computer and you need some speed uh, and you need to be able to edit some 4K video real time or if you're doing some pretty heavy duty new uh, After Effects projects or if you're uh, transitioning into uh, Resolve and you want to do some color grading, uh, definitely look into a PC. Because contrary to popular opinion, you don't need to have a Mac to be a professional in this business anymore. Uh, there's no reason for it. Uh, there was a point when the only thing I needed my Mac for was to run out ProRes because I had to deliver in ProRes to a lot of my clients. Um, but now you can do that on a PC. So the doors are off. You can do whatever the fuck you want uh, on your PCs now. So I would look into it. They're cheaper. They're A, they're more affordable. B, they're upgradable, right? Uh, and if you go with a company like Puget Systems, their customer support is amazing. You're actually talking to real fucking people. Uh, and these guys skip past the unboxing experience and they put that money where it needs to be inside that machine. Uh, and you, if you go to PugetSystems.com, you can actually shop for a machine based upon the software that you use or that you want to use. So they have pull downs for whatever software you want. They'll suggest a base package for the hardware. Uh, and these guys, Here's what's great about it. Even if you're a guy that wants to build your own PC, the problem with building your own PC is that you just don't know how all the pieces are gonna work together. You read about it online, you try to find spots that tell you like, this is the motherboard that works with this. And then you start to assemble it and then it's like, why is the RAM not showing up? It's annoying when you're trying to build your own PC. Uh, the dudes at Puget Systems will put something together for you that you can take out of the box and start editing immediately on. Um, but if you're, I, the type of person like I am, uh, you like to put your hands in shit, you want to build your own PC, go to PugetSystems.com because they benchmark test all this hardware and they put all that data up there. So for them, it's not just about selling computers. For them, it's about uh, giving back to this community, making sure this community becomes a bigger and better thing. So go to PugetSystems.com, build yourself your monster PC, and uh, with all the money you end up saving, make your, make your next short film. How's that? Next up, a uh, sponsor that is sticking with us through season two, the amazing dudes over at Quasar Science. Uh, with all the advancements that have happened in our film industry with cameras over the years and all the hype the cameras get, uh, we've sort of quietly uh, acknowledged how amazing LED technology is for lighting because it's outstanding. Not only do you have lights that don't get hot with temperature as far as like heat in the room, uh, LED lights stay really cool and I don't know if you guys have ever lit with old tungsten sources but once you get like four or five units in that room it becomes a fucking sauna um, and when you're using LEDs it does not you can actually hold them while they're on you can walk them around you can actually move them around a subject's face 
to find the perfect angle of light. Um, and the thing that I love about uh, Quasar's LEDs is if you get like the rainbow units, um, you can dial in any color in the spectrum. Rainbow colors all the way through, which saves you money on gels. I don't know. I'm a, a dude that uses color. Excuse me. I'm a dude that uses color all the time, and I used to have to go and buy gel sheets, little one-by-one -one gel sheets, $15 a piece, and those things just uh, melt and get thrown out, and so it's just a waste of money. Um, and with these LED units, you can dial in any color temp that you want. You can actually program in uh, effects. So let's say you want like the effect of a police strobing light, or, or you want the light to be moving across one of these tubes, one of these bars, um, which would then move across your subject's face. Uh, you're seeing them everywhere. Anywhere that you see a music video that have tubes in them, like colored tubes in the production design, it's Quasar. Quasar's all over the place. And if you're a gaffer or lighting technician that's listening to the show, you know that these guys are, are legit. These guys are the ones to use. And if you're a young filmmaker and you're a young DP and you just want to put together a kit, you want your kit to be lightweight, you want your kit to be versatile, you want the ability to use very good hard edging, but also have soft sources. Um, and if you get yourself a kit full of their little tubes, um, and I'll put the links below for them. Uh, I have a few tubes, I love them. And you can fit it in a small bag, you can put it in the back of your compact car um, and do some amazing fucking lighting. Like check out the Dale Strong piece we did, and that's all with LED tubes. Uh, so really beautiful stuff. Uh, so Quasar Science, go check them out, quasarscience.com. There they will direct you uh, to the vendors because I don't think they sell their products on their website, um, but their website's there for support. And I've met these guys because they're out here in California and I got to go to their facility um, and they uh, support their gear. They're there for tech support. It's really well run. It's a really great run company. Uh, so go check them out, Quasar Science. There you can figure out where to buy the tubes. You can get them on Amazon. You can get them on B&H. They're all over the fucking place. Uh, and they're not that bad. You can get a decent-sized tube for like four or 500 bucks. You know, not that bad at all. So go check them out. Also, supporting the show as always, and I'm going to give them reads because they supported me for so long, uh, the dudes over at Rule Boston Camera. Uh, if you are a filmmaker or a young DP, uh, and you're finding it impossible to keep up with the technology trends. Uh, all these new cameras that come out on the market, all these new lenses that come out on the market, you just can't fucking afford them. I highly suggest that you make a great relationship with your local rental house. Local rental house is important because if you are in the same city that the rental house is in, uh, like Boston, rural Boston camera, uh, and your gear goes down during the shoot, they will drive out a replacement piece for you or they'll tech support you over the phone on how to fix it. Uh, and that's huge. You're able to turn to your producer and say, no matter what, we'll be fine today. Uh, and this may take like a half hour for them to drive it out or an hour or however far away you are from the rental place, but we'll be able to keep going. And I've been in that situation before where I've had lenses that freeze to the body because it's so cold outside or I've had uh, monitor batteries that just shit the bed on me. Because you know this gear is fickle. No matter how they sell it to you, no matter how these manufacturers sell it to you, this, this gear always seems to go down at inopportune moments. And that's why it's really important to have a good relationship with your local rental house. Uh, and there are online rental places that have their purpose and have their, their spot and everything. But if you order shit online and it goes wrong, 
you're fucked. So think about that, right? So go check them out. And if you're on the East Coast and you're above New York City, Rule Boston Camera is the best. These guys not only have everything that you need, but they also teach you, train you on how to use it. So you want to get in there, you want to like learn how to use that that Airy Mini, these guys will show you. Uh, they love independent filmmakers, so go reach out to them, set up a time to go by, hang out, talk to Nick, talk to John, talk to all those guys over there. I love them to pieces. Uh, rule Boston Camera. All right, so next up, our new sponsor. Super happy to have these guys, and they are the... First sponsor on the show to actually give me copy to read. So here we go. Here we go. We get to watch or listen uh, to an idiot that uh, uh, can't read. Read you copy. (laughs) So it sucks to get bogged down in the edit process while you try to track down a soundtrack for your film. Now, I've been there. I have been there all the time. There's nothing worse than when you're trying to edit something and you need music. And what do you use for music, right? I'm breaking off script here, right off the bat. What do you need for music? Do you just temp in another score and then you start to pace out your edit? You start to craft your movie based upon someone else's soundtrack? And then if you are working with a composer or if you are looking for stock music, what are you going to tell them? Hey, I just want the Mad Max score. Can you just do that a little bit differently for me? That's what happens in our industry. It runs rampant in our industry. And that's why when you're listening to a lot of scores and soundtracks, they all sound the fucking same right? So it's tough because unless you have a composer that's sitting in your space with you and it's like, hey, bang me out some music. And he turns around and he, and he delivers stuff to you that you can edit with. It's really hard to do. And especially when you're working with, car- with corporate clients, commercial clients, they don't want to pay for full price for a composer. I mean, how, how often does that happen? It's usually like, I have a couple hundred bucks. And you're like, ah, oh, okay. So this music's going to suck. You know what I mean? Um, but not with these guys. Not with these guys. So, uh, the team over at Musicbed, right? Musicbed.com. In fact, uh, there's an entire reason why they built their platform. They've made it easier than ever for you to find the song that you've been looking for with intuitive and easy-to-use browse and search, amazing indie artists and bands, and incredible composers like Ryan Tabert and Chad Larson. Uh, their roster is growing every day with tens of thousands of songs, ranging from cinematic and electronic. To indie rock and hip hop, and they're and with either their single song licenses or subscriptions that give you unlimited downloads. There's something for every type of filmmaker. To create your free account and learn more, go to musicbed.com. Plus, as an in love with the process listener, they're giving you guys one month of free subscription. So one month of uh, one month of subscription for free, or They'll give you 20, 20% off a single song license. So if this doesn't make sense to you, so basically what they're doing here is that you can subscribe to their website and get your downloads based upon the music you want or sometimes based upon the projects you have, it's more cost effective just to single song license something, right? So these guys are giving you one month subscription for free or 20% off a single song license. It's pretty fucking awesome. So just enter the promo code, the process when you check out. So go check them out, man. Like I said, uh, they're over at musicbed.com uh, and I will link underneath the show, direct link it so that you guys can get there immediately. Um, I'm super happy to have these guys on the show. Really cool. 
Really cool stuff. Um, so yeah, let's see. Get those guys, get those guys, get those guys. Good on those guys for reads. Um, and then, oh, you know, let's also talk about uh, the Instagram stuff. So a uh, bunch of accounts that I like to follow on Instagram that you guys should follow. Uh, FilmUp, filmup.co, really cool filmmaking community. Uh, I'm supposed to start doing articles for those guys soon, um, but it's a really great spot and they're uh, going to be advertising and promoting the show for us. And then uh, Cinematography Salon, uh, which is another Instagram account uh, that's run by David Cruda, my uh, filmmaking wife. <laughs> And you guys get the joke. Those of you guys get the joke that actually uh, paid to see who's there because that's a joke on your own little podcast. <laughs> right? Uh, and for those of you who don't know about it, you can write to me on Instagram saying, I want to see who's there and I will send you a link. And for a fee, you can watch the movie and you can listen to your own private little podcast. So think about that. Um, so yeah, we'll have more on that but I think that's enough I'm, I'm ranting and raving uh, let's get back to laughing with Ryan You know, in, in the in the fucking plethora of downtime that we have in between doing these things, um, I'm either doing this bullshit or I'm uh, or I'm cooking for people and I'm doing barbecues and I'm doing parties and I'm doing events and stuff like that. And I think the one thing that I've learned because for years I, I've always thrown epic Halloween parties. I think this will probably be the first year I, I don't because I just moved out here, but. Um, I've always thrown like these massive fucking Halloween parties. And we used to have a house back in Boston that we could cram like 70, 80 people into. And it was like a big event. And I would light the house. I would literally light the house like a movie set, atmosphere haze, and, uh, and really tease the experience um, for folks and make it into this thing that people love to, to be a part of. And a lot of that was the mystery behind it, the mystique behind how you do the advertising for it and how you make it into this social event. And I think that people still love that. People still love really cool social events. People still love analog. People still like to touch things and to buy things. I mean, there wouldn't be the success behind Mondo, and there wouldn't be the success behind vinyls if there wasn't still a group of people that really liked that kind of stuff. And yeah, for sure. even if you're dealing with the young, cynical, <clears throat> I don't even want to say cynical because they're not cynicals anymore, but the younger generation that is kind of spoiled by being able to see or load anything that they possibly can in their fucking hand. Um, when they are exposed to the social element of these events, they're just like, Oh my God, I've never, I've never been a part of this before. This is really cool. And I think you could still do that with cinema. I think you could still do that with film. Um, I think you just need to somehow, you know, shake these assholes that do the advertising for it. And A24, I think, is the best, the best studio or the best uh, distributor out there right now for how they do their advertising for their movies. Agreed. Um, I adore A24. But, uh, you know, like I love A24. I love what they do. Um, but I, I don't know, man. Like maybe I, I just wish that 
they could advertise our movies the same way that our movies were advertised when we were kids. So we got fucking yeah. so excited about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, exactly. Just feeling like that event that's coming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Totally. So um, let's let's talk a little bit about Film Riot. Um, so it, it's obvious that what you're doing on that on that outlet, it's really smart. What you're doing on that outlet is you're you're practicing your techniques. You're 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 putting your toolbox essentially together, um, and then having this platform to share your experiences about it and to bring a fan base, which is fucking phenomenal, dude. Um, like, do you still enjoy making this stuff for Film Riot? Is it is it a day job for you at this point? Like, how does that work? Yeah, yeah, I I, I love it. <clears throat> so. I have my uh, production company, Trying Films, and under Trying Films, I have my show Film Riot and my show Variant. And I used to do client work, but I, I haven't done that in like, you know, five years probably. And we've done other shows here and there, but Variant and Film Riot are really the mainstay shows. Uh, but Variant is run by uh, some other uh, folks that work for me. I, I don't, you know, I'm not involved in that anymore. I, I was at its uh, inception, but now I just focus on Film Riot and, you know, the films and, and other stuff. We have the store as well where we sell, like, filmmaker assets and stuff. So all of that combined is really, like, the day-to-day. -day. <clears throat> but certainly, um, obviously, filmmaking, uh, you know, getting to the, the, the features is the, the main passion and the main dream and the main goal. But Film Riot definitely became um, sort of a, you know, ongoing passion project for me. I, I love doing it. Uh, sometimes yeah. it's harder than others when, you know, you're working on <laughs> developing a feature and doing the short film. It's, it's kind of hard to keep up with. So I can't give it as much attention as I want to, but you know, when there is time for me to give it attention, it's just so much fun to try things. And, and, it, and it's so low stress and there isn't this expectation of, I was actually watching, I love the corridor guys and they have their, their corridor crew channel. And they had that guy Beeple on there recently. And, uh, he was talking about how he does uh, a render every single day and he has to do it on the day and put it up. And then, <laughs> and he was talking about how, you know, doing it that way, his expectation for himself can't be, he's got to get it done. So it's just like this stream of creativity and, and film, right. Has been very much that for me, you know, no episode is like, here's what I can do you know, in my craft, 100%, not even close. But, you know, I found that after doing it for a bit, what I would do with each, like, just throw away funny sketch, like we do a lot of goofy comedy type stuff, I would uh, try an idea or a bit of pacing or, you know, where I put the camera. And it wasn't polished by any stretch of the imagination. Sure. But um, the content of how it would work was, is still the same thing. So I always say it was kind of like, learning to play the electric guitar by starting on the acoustic guitar first. You know what I mean? By the time you get to the electric guitar, you're like, oh shit, this is really easy. You know, <laughs> you know? I don't have to push down hard at all. <laughs> and that's kind of what it felt like going from Film Riot to like this full crew of insanely talented creatives who are actually, you know, helping me do all of these things. I'm not doing all of them anymore and supported by these people with, you know, who also have these great ideas. Um, yeah. So that, that ended up being a, the, my main film school, whereas my film school ended up being, you know, cause I went to a technical school cause I didn't really want to go to an, an art school where they were going to teach me what character was and how to tell a story. And, you know, right. about the, I, I wanted to develop that on my own in my own way. So I just picked a very technical school that would show me where all the buttons were and you know, get me out of there. And yep. so film riot uh, really ended up being my main film school. 
with an audience to critique every single tiny little thing that I did. <laughs> um, and, and just not having that, you know, even now if I, you know, do, we just did this small like vignette where, you know, my brother Josh is on a pile of dirt and we just made it seem like maybe a war scene or something. It just has a flair to it. And then we extend, we did it in our warehouse and make it look like it's outside uh, in this, you know, dirt field and there's fire in the distance. And so it's, you know, adding the, the V effect and extending out that dirt to make it feel like he was in a field or, you know, doing something where we created similarly uh, uh, like a foresty setting within this small warehouse too. It's like this, 15 by, you know, 15 warehouse. It's not very large. Um, right, but right. We're, you know, we're trying these ideas and stuff that end up being like this popsicle stick and bumblegum, you know, fixes, these like MacGyver filmmaking fixes that I've taken to the larger shoots that I've done when, you know, you know, when you're like, <laughs> yeah, we have three hours to do eight hours of work yeah, uh, yeah. and it, and it turns into, okay, we no longer have the time for all the quote unquote proper ways to do this. Here's how we could do this. And, that stuff right. has been really helpful too. But, you know, having that, you know, that, that film right sketch stuff doesn't need to be, it's not even expected to be at the level of what a short film would be, but the contents there and the ideas are there and it kind of like liberates you from nitpicking every tiny little thing. So you can kind of just try things with a safety net. Um, and that's been extremely helpful and, and just a lot of fun too. Yeah, dude. And it's, there's something to be said about the fact that you're, uh, teaching yourself and you're learning all these techniques and you're not afraid to do it in front of an audience. And I think that a lot of young filmmakers and artists in general, they want to release something that's amazing right off the bat. And so they fucking just scrutinize and they dig in and they're just like, this isn't good enough. And this isn't good enough. And a year goes by, two years go by and they're not releasing content but if you look at all the greats, and we've mentioned Spielberg, I mean, that dude learned in front of people. I mean, he directed yeah. episodes of Columbo, you know, mm -hmm. when he was like, what, 22? Something like yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> which is just insane. It's insanity. And and he's he's learning, he's taking that opportunity to learn on a television show, dolly work and blocking. And he just figured out a way to do it with people watching and to be cool with it. And I, I, I love that, man. I've, I've always said from the beginning that if, if I knew all the shit and I was really good at it, uh, right out of the gate, then it'd be boring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be a boring job. And there's something fun about the discovery and filmmaking. And that's, that's why it's a collaborative process. And, and discovering this stuff with an audience is also fun. I think, you know, yeah, exactly. It's almost like, I mean, dumb analogy, but you ever play a game that has tasks and once you complete the tasks, the game that you were obsessed with, you're kind of like, eh, I'm bored of it. I don't want to do it anymore. So it's <laughs> like, you know, I feel like no matter what I make, I'm not happy. Uh, you know, it could always be better. I'm, I'm disappointed in my performance. It's well, I learned these things and I'm going to take it to the next one, you know? And, and so that's constantly like a, a drive forward to not only, you know, obviously you're the main thing is you're trying to craft this experience for an audience and, and, you know, get across this thing that you're trying to say. But I think something that keeps you going in those, you know, lonely moments when you're the only one in the room by yourself at, you know, midnight trying to figure out how the hell to make this thing work before there's any team what at all. I, I think that really kind of drives me is like, this has to be better than the last one. And, and how can I learn from what I'm even currently doing and, and make it better? And, you know, let me get this done and then I'm going to look at it and I'm going to make it even better. 
Hold, hold on, Ryan. <laughs> sure. I, I, I bet you said something amazing there, but you got like literally, I cannot hear a thing you just said. <laughs> just trust me, it was, was awesome. Just, I'm sitting here going, uh huh, uh huh, that sounds uh, great. Mm, it sounds really so good. good. <laughs> it was so insightful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever's going on with uh, our setup here through the internet. What I'm hearing, and it probably won't be in the show because the show will be super clean, but what I'm hearing, it sounds like you're standing in front of a fucking propeller plane right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's insane. Damn it. <laughs> is, it any, is it any better now? The, the waveforms look better now. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's... So you're using earbuds, right? Yeah, yeah, AirPods. Um, <clears throat> maybe it's those. What are you using, your laptop for this? Yeah. Okay. I think I can hear you better here. I'll just let you know if you start to go, if you start to, to fade. <laughs> just, just know everything I'm saying is great. <laughs> <laughs> and this is all staying in the show. <laughs> <laughs> that ride's real egomaniac. You just edit it so it just sounds like I'm saying that out of the blue for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> you close the show with, so, you know, no surprise, Ryan's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> what a dick. <laughs> Not having him on again. Sorry, guys. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh. So let's see. We're doing good, man. We're at 44 minutes. All right. So let me see. What else did I want to? Let me look at my list here. Let me <clears throat> try to be a professional broadcaster. <laughs> um, so... I, you've done so many different genres at this point through Film Riot. You've been playing around uh, with action. You've been playing around with horror. Um, you know, what they like to do in our business is they like to put us in a little box. And yeah. they like to try to sell that box. If you had to be placed in a genre box, what genre do you love the most? <clears throat> oh, man. That's a hard one. <laughs> that yeah, it is, is very it is. difficult. Um, there's not really one genre. I mean, there's a tone, right? Like... I, you know the that finchery you know i i guess you know thriller vibe there's a dark edge to it like that's definitely where i gravitate regardless of genre um mm -hmm. you know ballistic had that darker edge to it you know whenever i set out to do something that i care about cuz you know it's like i've i've done technically 16 short films but i really only consider a handful of those actual short film where I was actually trying to make a short film, which would probably be like, you know, tell proximity ballistic. And now there comes a knocking everything right. else. I kind of looked at as like bloated film riot sketches, but you know, you call them short films. Cause what, what, what else am I going to call them? I tried calling them like, um, uh, short shorts at one point, but that was like, that's stupid. <laughs> and I just, yeah, I gave that up. I'm like, I'm not going to call it. <laughs> But uh, I mean, certainly sci-fi and horror are very high on my list. Um, uh, but yeah, I, it's so hard. I don't know. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I feel like answering is like it's going to become true. I don't know. Um, <laughs> if, can I pick two? Can I pick sci-fi and horror? <laughs> yeah, dude. I, can I add uh, action? And thriller. <laughs> let me just say, let me just say that I want us both to make it, and I want us both to be competing opening weekends on all our fucking projects. <laughs> but we gotta like sync up. Like everything has to have the same premise. So we'll start with our knocking films, <laughs> and, and then I'll start developing a Russian oil drilling film. 
<laughs> and we'll just, you know, it'll be like ants in a bug li- bug's life, you know, deep impact in Armageddon. We'll just <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. I don't see why not, to be honest with you. <laughs> Dude, I love the idea. I love the idea. <laughs> Uh, but it'll you, be like we're may- going to prom. We just we're syncing up what we're wearing. It's the same yeah. thing. <laughs> <laughs> and but meanwhile, and we 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 get real pissed off in the public about it. We're just like, fuck this like guy. we hate fuck each other. Guy. Yeah, yeah, this dude. <laughs> I don't know who's leaking my ideas to him. <laughs> but but meanwhile, we're both doing like cell phone interviews, sitting in the same room and laughing, like holding the receiver. Like that guy's a fucking asshole. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mike, what do you want to? What movie you want to make next? <laughs> what do we doing oh <laughs> uh, dude i love it i fucking love it um one thing that you keep bringing up which i really appreciate which i think is lacking pretty fucking hard right now in and i'm i'm gonna go on a limb and be the dickhead that says it um <laughs> is the attention to tone yeah. and and really being a filmmaker that has a voice and and can somehow get through the uh, corporate boardrooms that control cinema right now and have a tone. And there's, there's a handful of filmmakers that I fucking love. Uh, Denis Villeneuve, obviously oh, his tone yes, is amazing. God, yes. Um, I can't remember his name, but what's the dude's name that directed green room? Um, uh, oh man, I can't remember his name either, but yes, he's also amazing. Him. Yeah. He's uh, great. Uh, his stuff's really great. Um, there's a handful of really great young filmmakers that seem to have their own tone there's a lot of young filmmakers that are very inspired by Fincher and you can see some of that, but, um, and then you get like weirdos like Panos Cosmatos, which I fucking love Mandy and I love his weird tone that he has in his movies. Yeah, super odd. Um, I think it's, a, I think it's something that people really aren't examining right now. And we live in a, in an industry that is very much character based script based, um, which is important and I'm not dogging that, but, the move, the stuff has gone more towards the series route where it's like writer centric and writer owned and script run and less visual artists. Like we, we don't have like a new Ridley Scott, you know what I mean? We don't sure. have a new James Cameron. Um, would you feel the same way or do you think I'm being a dickhead by saying that? <laughs> well, I mean, I just think you're a dickhead, but I do feel the same <laughs> <laughs> I no, I haven't really thought about it, but I mean that that is very true. I mean, it, it kind of feels like maybe it's the difference between like you know a, a, a you know a corporate made film and a you you know a yeah. unique voice. You know, I mean, I really like uh, Ari Oster's work and um, uh, Robert Eggers, the stuff that they've been putting out. Um, I loved Hereditary and I love The Witch and Lighthouse looks just fantastic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's it's stuff like that where it it definitely feels like it's coming from a unique personal voice um, is the stuff that especially lately that I've been you know heavily gravitating to. Whereas you know you have other films more blockbuster fare, which they're they're fun, but they they kind of it's like you said it kind of feels serial serialized which it is but it starts feeling a bit repetitive to me which i mean people love those films and i dig a lot of those films as well um but you know when you get something that feels a little more a lot more personal i I mean spielberg did it you know he's making blockbuster films but the second you start a a spielberg film you're like this is steven spielberg you know there's no you know denying that it's a steven spielberg film yeah Uh, of course and, and, and it's certainly that stuff is is stuff that i gravitate uh, too as well. Yeah. I, I just, 
I, I mean, that's kind of my career goal and my career path. That it's a, it's a very tough thing to, um, to try to sell, especially to the management, the agents. You know what I mean? Where it's just yeah. like, listen, guys, it's it's about tone for me, and it's about, uh, uh, you know, making movies that people can recognize immediately. Like when you watch a Fincher film, you're just like. This is David Fincher, and I want to see yeah. what, he's gonna, what story he's going to tell in his fucking world. Totally. Frame one, it's David Fincher. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's hard to uh, convince people. And I think that's why it's smart that we both do these concepts, these proof of concept <clears throat> short films, because at the end of the day, that's the, that's the goal. Because I can, I can literally take a script that someone has, you know, about a hole in the ground and a mom and a kid, which I watched the other day, um, and... I could do that a hundred different ways. And if I wrote out my idea, whoever's going to be reading the, that idea will process it through what they like and what they, what they see the movie to be. And I think when yeah. you do a short or proof of concept, um, it just kills all that. People just yeah. look at it and they go, fuck. All right. This is, this is your world. All right. Got it. Got it. Got it. You know? Yeah. That's, that's very, very true. And I, I, I spend a lot of time like thinking about and, and wondering, you know, what is, my voice. What is that? I, how do I find that? And then I just, over time, I just, uh, you know, came to realize it's just is what it is. I just make the films that I want to make and I, I make them how I see them. And that's my voice. I, I can't even yeah. see my style. Like, uh, you know, the people around me say that they see my style and I'm like, really? I don't, I don't, I don't see a style there, but okay. Um, I, I want, do you feel that way? Can you, do you see your style or know what it is or, or do you feel the same way? Um, so, I mean, the way I talk about style, because this also re is relevant um, when I had my career as a photographer. And um, I remember I was doing, um, I was hired to do uh, all the really cool covers for this uh, uh, really popular magazine called the Boston Phoenix. And they would have me come in and shoot epic covers. That was my pitch. So every once in a while, they were like, hey, we want to do like a Michael Bay kind of cover where you come and shoot this. Um, and so I, I shot for them for a couple of years, probably like four or five years. Um, and every time I would set out to shoot something, and I'm sure you're the same way, I, I was just like, all right, I want to throw out everything that I've done before and I want to do something new. And yes. so you start that process and you start shooting and same thing with film, you start shooting that. And we have these lofty ideas on paper that are just like, you know, the fucking, you know, the sun's going to come crashing down on the planet, whatever the fuck it is. And then you get on set and you can't do that. And so then you start resorting back to your tricks that will get you to the next thing that you can do. So the next new thing that you can do in there. And I find that those, those little, that toolbox is what I call it on the show, that sort of creative toolbox that I have ends up uh, creating the style to the point where I would shoot these covers and I would do something radically fucking different. Like I didn't use high color or I didn't use super contrasting color. I did something else and I would have people come up to me and go like, I saw your cover and I'm like, what, what, what fucking cover? And they're like, you know, your cover <laughs> and, and they don't put your name on it as, a, as yeah. a photographer. You actually have to go through and find like the little line notes to, to find out who shot it. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's totally you. And I was just like, what the fuck? Explain to me what that means. Explain to me what yeah. totally me means. And for quite some time, I was really bugged by it. Um, and then I just hit this point where I embraced it. And I, I forget who gave me this advice, but they're just like, just turn into it, man. Like, if you're, if you're good at something and uh, you enjoy doing it, just, just turn right into it. 
and 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 fully embrace that and get lost in that you know that descent <laughs> yeah yeah in, in, into madness with it and um and that's kind of how the, the sense of style comes about and i don't know how i could define what my sense of style is but i know it exists um and i i know for a fact that people will just write to me and be like i saw this fucking rando thing and that's you and i'm like okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> right, i can i know? could definitely relate to that as well and it, it's i just stopped caring about it too like it's just yeah it is what it is my voice is what it is i'm just especially because i just started feeling like if i'm trying to be a thing it's no longer my voice i'm trying to do a thing so just do the yeah. thing you know this is yeah. how i see the world this is how i see this character this is how i see the story and just trying to be as honest as possible and i you know it's just gonna come through and hopefully it does come through because that means that you know the way i see the world is coming through um so i guess that's a good thing oh i have fedex to show up I have this <laughs> uh, hello super yes. annoying doorbell hold on, hold on, hold on three seconds hold on <laughs> All right, so the fucking FedEx guy looks through the window, and clearly I'm doing a podcast. (laughs) Clearly I have a microphone in front of me, and I have headphones on, and he smiles and slowly hits the fucking doorbell. (laughs) With with one middle finger up. (laughs) Mouthing, fuck you, dude. (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) Oh um, gosh. So where are we at? We're doing pretty good, man. How are you on on time? Am I holding you up? No, I'm good. Okay, great. Um this has been <laughs> this has been a fun podcast, man. I love fucking t- I love chatting with you, man, because Yeah, same. I, I have a feeling that if we uh if we both uh walked into the same room and touched hands, we'd probably dissolve. <laughs> <laughs> it would collapse the universe. It's yeah. where somehow this is like frequency, like a version of the movie frequency, except it's like traveling dimension, not time. We're just yeah. alternate versions of each other in different timelines. <laughs> oh man. Where are you at? Where are you where are you at now? Where's where's home? I can't remember where home is. I'm in uh, Dallas still. I moved I I used I lived in Florida born and raised in Florida, moved to Dallas in like 2012, just because uh, it made a lot of sense business wise and was a little more central. Like I could pop over to LA really easily now. Um, oh, cool. and, and, and it's just a lot easier uh, for me to do the stuff that I want to do with my company and even the short films and everything. Uh, it's yeah. a lot easier over here. It's got a pretty good, uh, pretty good film scene um, here as well. Uh, it, it used to be pretty much all in Austin, but it's kind of since 2012 it slowly it had an okay scene in dallas uh, around then but it's just been building and building well dude and i mean you must be a, a pretty big deal over in dallas at this point like you've got a, a solid crew you've got i mean the funny thing is that uh, we like to try so hard to get into theaters we like to try so hard to you know, uh, get on television or whatever the hell the old system that we grew up with. But the truth of the matter is, is that YouTube's a fucking juggernaut, man. And you guys are, you guys have a huge audience on YouTube. Do you ever think about that? Is, do you ever hit a point where you're like, does it matter that I get in the cinema or should I just roll this audience into my films and just release shit on YouTube all the time? Like, how do you, think- how do you look at that? 
I, I feel like there's still definitely a divide in the perception of something that's released on, say, YouTube than, you know, something that hits the theater. Um, and and I, I think it kind of shapes the experience, you know, like we were talking about before, like that, uh, you know, that certain experience. So I feel like a yeah. film that goes into the theater and me seeing in the theater is an entirely different experience than me even just watching it at home when it comes out, you know, for streaming let alone mm-hmm. just being released on, on to YouTube, um, which I think, you know, YouTube in the last few years has definitely become a viable platform. I mean, you know, just six years ago, that was not the case. I, I remember when I started Film Riot, I was embarrassed to say that uh, I did a YouTube <laughs> show. I would just be like, oh, I do, I do uh, media. I do media stuff. And they'd be like, what specifically? And I'm like, I don't, you know, mind your, mind your, mind your damn business. Um, but <laughs> it's like, yeah, totally. And if you told someone, they would look at you like, um, you, so you make cat videos? And you're like, no, I don't make <laughs> cat videos. And then, you know, so after a, a solid period of time, felt like, you know, at least four years or so, then it stopped being so like YouTube side-eyed. Um, but, you yeah. know, I still, I still feel like, you know, it's not quite the place that I would want to put my features because it's also not how I want people consuming that. Cause I think, you know, something yes. like YouTube is definitely something that's going to lend everyone, including myself to flippantly just, oh, I'll just watch it on my phone real quick. Where <laughs> if it goes into the theaters or even, even on Netflix or, you know, any of the other places, I, I feel like, you know, from hearing other people talk and how I feel about it, a certain level of uh, respect is lent to it of like, I'm going to watch that tonight. You know what I mean? I'm going to sit down yeah. and I'm going to watch it. Yeah. Where when it comes, goes on more of a social media platform like YouTube, I feel YouTube is, I feel like, uh, you know, people just uh, treat it differently. Not like they will like it less, but it, it won't have as much of a, no, no, we're not going to watch it till tonight. We have to watch it in the theater room with the lights. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Which a lot of yeah. people who watch my short films say that they do it that way. And that's amazing. But yeah, but um, it's a, it's a hard thing like to convince people different. to do so. Yeah, know? totally, totally. And it, you know, oh man, you I'm sure you have the there's so many devices and screens that it's like you can't mix this sound and grade this film to all of them. And so it's just like you can't control. It makes me like think about like you know, the you know, major feature directors that are, you know, spending you know, three years on a thing and hundreds of millions of dollars and the pain that they feel <laughs> in their soul, knowing that somebody's going to watch it on a phone, you know, uh, <laughs> dude, dude, I was, I was at a bar the other day at a fucking urinal and there's a guy watching YouTube while pissing in a urinal. <laughs> That's and I just look a at bitch. Him, I'm looking at him going, dude, you're doing both half-assed. <laughs> Focus on one. (laughs) Decide which is more important right now. And judging by your pants, I can do. I can make that fucking decision for you. But to him, he's like YouTube, both hands on phone. (laughs) (laughs) I need to cup the ends so that I can hear it better. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dude, but I I completely sympathize with that. Where, and I think a lot of folks just don't. Don't get it. And, and, and dude, this starts to get deeper into sort of like a sociological, you know, conversation. I, you know, I talked about this, I think, on the show, but fuck it, I'll say it again. I was watching um, uh, Nicholas Refent's, uh show on uh, Amazon, uh, Too Old to Die Young. Did you see that one? Not yet. No, it's on my list, though. Dude, it's fucking great. All right. And so it is 
essentially, uh, spoiler alert, essentially, um, it's a program that has the script that could be done in like an hour and a half. And, right. you know, being Rafan, he he just literally stretches that out for 10 fucking hours. So it becomes... <laughs> yeah. They're staring for at least 45 minutes yeah. of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he just, he makes it into, you know, he calls himself a fetishist. And it's it's 100% true. And so he makes it into this long thing. So I, I love his movies. I've always been a huge fan of him. Uh, so I started watching the first episode of it. And it's gorgeous. And it's fucking slow like it's really slow um and the first episodes they're our episodes so the first episode i'm watching it going this is so gorgeous and i was sort of obsessed with the way it looked and then i tried to (laughs) i tried to binge it which is impossible um so i got into episode two and i was like i found myself sitting there picking up my fucking phone and while i'm watching the show i'm i'm picking up my phone and i'm checking my emails and shit and I stopped myself, I paused the show, and, I, and I, I asked a question I think a lot of people should ask. What type of person am I that I cannot give this it, the attention that it's due? Like, what kind of person am I that I can't sit here in silent moments, in moments where characters aren't really moving or doing anything, and what's going on in my brain that I don't want to listen to? So I start to pull out my phone and what sort of anxieties are running through my head that I need to distract myself with social media. Yeah. Um, it, it's a big fucking thing, dude. And, and watching this show, what I ended up doing was like, I made a conscious, it was, it's almost like saying, hey, I'm going to go work out. I made this conscious effort. And I, I, like, I'm like, I'm going to leave my phone in the fucking kitchen and I'm going to sit down and I'll watch this movie. And what happens is I started to get introduced to what he was actually doing which is creating this tone, creating this pace that, that almost uh, puts you in a trance-like uh, situation where the music and everything, and so you start, to, you start to really sink into it, and then he fucking hits you in the face with like character changes, uh, scares, uh, violence, and that violent sequence, which is essentially, and I'm not giving anything away, but let's say it was like someone shooting a guy in the face, because of that pacing that he has uh, instilled in you, that is so much stronger than any of the CBS fucking TV shows that you watch, which the same thing happens in. Yeah. So it, it's such an interesting exercise in perception and patience um, that most people won't, don't have the, the curiosity for, which is very fucking weird, man. And, and I think that... When you're, when you're talking like you were before, like I want to be able to control where my movie is screened and I want to be able to control the experience, all the way down to the fact that when you're in a theater, you can't pause it. Like yes, you can never exactly. stop it. And you can't um, talk, you know, you can't, you can't lift up your phone <laughs> unless you could be subjected to public ridicule or managers. <laughs> yes. That's why yes. I love Alamo Drafthouse. They are oh, not dude, effing around I over there. love them. Yes. Yes. There's a new one down here in downtown LA that I went to that is amazing. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a theater built for dudes like you and me. Yeah. And, just- and I usually don't like the dine-ins because I, I find the, uh, you know, the, the people coming in with the food distracting, but they're all yeah. ninjas. Like I never noticed them. <laughs> like they've set that up. They have it like down pat. They set it up so perfectly to where it's like, it is super rare when I notice it, it has to be them bringing food to the person directly <laughs> next to me for me to notice that they're doing anything. 
I love it, dude. It's a great cinema to go to. If you guys listening, if you're in, uh, I know they're in LA. They're they're all over the place now. They're in LA. They're in New York. They originated yeah. in uh, Texas, right? They came out of Austin, didn't yep. they? The first one's in Austin, and uh, there's there's several in Texas. There's about like I think there's like four now within an hour drive of me. But there's one just like twenty minutes away. So that's my wife and I. That's that's like our theater of choice. If a film's out that like I'm really stoked about, that that's where we're going. Ah, uh, dude, and not to mention the fact that they do all sorts of special screenings and they do like really cool party things. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're constantly showing like classic films and such. It's it's great. Uh, if you guys, if you guys at home don't know it, just check them out, Alamo Draft House, and there are a lot of really great independent cinemas uh, in all sorts of cities across the country. So if you have a choice, and I know it's really hard to drag yourself to the theater right now because the fucking ticket prices are astronomical. It's like fifteen dollars to start. Yeah, it's crazy to go to go see a movie, and half the movies that are being made are just fucking slop. And so I, I get it. And you can find a really great indie cinema uh, where the ticket prices are less. You can drink beer in the cinema, which is fucking mm-hmm. great. Um, and, and then it becomes a really cool social thing again. Um, and it's one thing that I love to do in general. Like I have film clubs. And for years when I was back in Boston, I used to do once a month, I'd have all my friends and all my coworkers. I'd rent out a theater and I'd start just projecting movies that I loved growing up as a kid. And that became this really cool film club. And, and I feel that same vibe whenever I go to like Alamo Draft House. It feels like I'm part of a film club. Uh, yeah, it, it's a great and they don't sponsor the show and I will happily advertise them because I think they're fucking amazing. But if they're listening and they would like to sponsor the show, please contact Mike. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think we're I think we're hitting a good point here, man. This is um, normally the part of the show where I allow the guest to bestow some wisdom uh, onto the to the folks that are listening to it. Um, and for you, I think the question I would have for you is um, motivation. I'm curious about your motivation. So when you started, because now you have a ton of shit to do, you know, between doing your stuff for Film Riot and everything else. But when you started, when you started to put your shit together, what motivated you to, to finally do it in front of an audience? What motivated you to, 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 to do it on, like do Film Riot, essentially? I, you know, I, I don't know fully. I mean, Film Riot was a little bit of like what I was saying before. It was like about, you know, um, coming up with that idea of I could potentially build a community here and, you know, impart, you know, what I'm learning and what I, you know, already know to, you know, because there, there was nothing. And that was always frustrating to me, like trying to, because even if you go to the library and you try to grab a book on, on filmmaking, there's a barrier to entry there where you're just like, I don't know what they're talking about, you know, cause it's not starting from step one. It's starting at like step 50 and you're just, I don't know what this means. Um, so, you know, and it all felt very tight to the chest and, uh, I love Mythbusters, and it was kind of like, what if there was like a, you know, a film version of that, um, where it would be like, you know, and, and, and I knew because I've always been deadline oriented too. like I knew if I had deadlines that I would be doing it more, which I was always I've been a, like, you know, painfully obsessed my entire life. So I'm, I've always just been doing it. But, you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, you make nobody ever sees. You never even really show anybody you make it and then that's it. You move on. Um, and I knew, you know, if I could do like a weekly sort of show, which at first it was just monthly. 
But, um, you know, they wanted to be weekly. And I'm like, that's insane. I have a full time job. And I was like, you know what? If I did that, like I was single at the time. I mean, I had a girlfriend, but, I, you know, I wasn't married. Big difference. Um, and, uh, you know, if, 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 if I had a deadline that I had to hit, I had to come up with something brand new. And there were people that were going to ridicule me if it completely sucked, you know, um, that that <laughs> would be like this insane, you know, um, film school uh, that I could put myself through and also like I said hopefully build that community because it's always been you know I really love the idea of of building the community and helping people but you know obviously I want to make feature films I want to tell stories I want to you know give an audience an experience and you have to have an audience to give an audience an experience so and, (laughs) and and being in Florida having no network it was you know that that was definitely a part of the thinking if I could build that community I could make at least I'm making something for someone um, and you know, that was a huge, uh, part of the motivation, but to, to start it to begin with, I'm, I'm not even a hundred percent sure. Like, uh, you know, I was a hyperactive kid. Mm-hmm. So it, it was always frustrating to me that I couldn't get people to see things the way that I saw them. Um, and you know, looking back and psychoanalyzing it as an adult, uh, I think that definitely had a factor to it. it. It was like a way to be heard and not ignored because it was something different that nobody else did. And all of a sudden, you know, people were paying attention to me and I was in the room and, and, and they were hearing what I had to say or how I saw something or why I thought something was funny. It's simple as that, you know, why I thought it was funny, you know, cause it would also often, you know, I would say something I thought was funny, but nobody laughed. I'm like, ah, you just don't see it the way I see it. You know what I mean? And, and it's just seeing through that viewfinder, through that lens, it's like you're forcing someone to see through your lens. Um, and, and that I think was, uh, became a very big obsession for me as well. And then just, you know, it's that outlet, that creative outlet that some of us just, I think everyone needs a creative outlet, but I think Mm -hmm. some of us needed a little more than others. And when you find it, there's something so intensely therapeutic and personal about it that it becomes like a drug that you need a, a fix uh, for, you know, every other day to every day, or, you know, if, once you get into it, like us, you know, every other minute. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, I think it was really, you know, those things. Well, cool, man. Um, like I just got to say, dude, I love talking to you, man. Every time we, we have Same. a conversation, I feel like we're laughing most of the time. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's very true. Uh, and I, 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 you know, very, I'm always curious about what you're doing and it's really cool to see the success that you've basically made for yourself. Um, and, uh, I hope, <laughs> I hope to God we both get, uh, our shit going at the same time. So yeah. we can... <laughs> December, 2020. Let's do it, baby. <laughs> we'll release like boxing posters. <laughs> yeah, same time. We should start trolling the internet and start releasing oh short films that are identical. <laughs> oh my God. It's going to happen, dude. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thanks for being on the show, dude. No, thank you for having me, dude. So I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. I love that, dude. Every time we sit down and have a conversation, uh, I feel like we're just laughing uh, the whole time. And it's just really nice um, to know someone personally, to know somebody who's going through the same things that I'm going through. Um, And it's uncanny how uh, through the zeitgeist, uh, we work on a lot of the same ideas, a lot of the same projects. So, um, you know, hopefully uh, in a few years, there'll be uh, blockbuster weekend battles (laughs) between the two of us. And I hope you guys learned something with the show. I mean, 
Uh, Ryan's a really uh, inspiring guy. Um, and he's, uh, the, the fact that he's able to share everything that he's learning with you guys is a testament to who he is as a person. Um, and there are so many people in our industry that like to hoard their ideas. And, oh, I use, I use this lot on my thing and this is my most important lot. No, it doesn't fucking matter. If, if there's anything you should learn from this, it's that at the end of the day, you get asked to do the work because it gets put through your brain, right? gets put through your brain, which is a collection of your life experiences, is a collection of the things that you've learned the wrong way, the right way. Uh, and then through that process, something different is created. I can guarantee you that uh, Ryan could get it and I could get the same script and we would have two radically different movies, two radically different films in tone, uh, and I'd want to watch his. You know what I mean? So... Uh, this this business uh, tends to be uh, incredibly competitive, um, but I just don't believe in getting into all that shit, man. I think it's awesome. I fucking think it's great that he's doing really well, and uh, uh, we both have movies that have something to do with uh, knocking stuff, so we'll see. Uh, his comes out, like he said, I think uh, next Monday. I'm recording this on the 23rd. So the actual release for his, let me do this while we're doing this here. Stand by, listen to me using the computer. Uh, let's see, by month. So his comes out on the 28th. So October 28th, uh, his, his episode or his uh, short film comes out. Um, and uh, this will probably be out well after that. So you can find it on YouTube. So go check it out. Uh, uh, go to Ryan Conley's website and then uh, also check out Film Right. Stuff's all over the place. Um, and uh, I just... I'm happy that you guys were able to listen to this conversation because this is what a conversation between the two of us would sound like. Um, and that's kind of what I wanted for the show. And I hope you guys feel like you're actually here hanging out. Um, and uh, I just want to once again say how happy I am that you guys listen to the show. Please support the show by uh, visiting um, at Mike Petchy on Instagram or in love with the process pod on Instagram. Uh, there you can tell me how cool this show is, how much you love it, and what a great fucking job I'm doing. <laughs> uh, and, um, you know, like I said, too, you're, that's going to be the spot that I release Who's There, the uh, proof of concept film. And I haven't put it out for over a year just because it's been running through the production companies. And it's good to keep that stuff to your chest. And I'm still not going to release it to the public. So the only way you're going to be able to see it is if you write to me and ask me to see it. Um, and then I'll have advertisements for when I'm going to uh, put this contest together on Instagram. So at Mike Petri on Instagram is the place to do that. Um, and if you're listening to the podcast, like I said, please rate the show on whatever uh, format, whatever outlet that you use. Uh, give us a star rating for the show. Uh, if you think this one was a two star, if I'm a two star man, give me a two star man. Um, and uh, yeah, I uh, just really love to be able to do this stuff. Uh, and with your help and with the help of the sponsors of the show, uh, I've been able to bang out episode after episode uh, the past couple weeks. Um, uh, this is all going to be released out of order, so it's hard for me to be specific about what comes next. Um, but just know this, I am going remote next week. Um, I'm actually going uh, to a concert venue uh, while an artist is setting up his stuff. I'm not going to tell you who it is yet. Um, and we're going to record an episode 
with a pretty famous artist because uh, I want to get some more musicians on the show. I want to talk about the parallels of that career with our career. Um, and so, yeah, so stand, stand by for that. I'm also talking to some, some chefs. Finally, finally get some chefs on the show. So it's going to be cool. Uh, but anyway, enough ranting and raving. As always, the music that you're listening to is from the, the master, the man, Mr. Code Electro. Um, I'll put his link below. Go to his website. Check out his stuff. Subscribe to his shit on Spotify. Um, and uh, buy one of his vinyls because they are fucking cool. They are really cool. Um, so definitely check that stuff out. And uh, that's it, man. That's it. Oh, you know what? The other thing I wanted to talk about, and I don't know if the show is going to come out before Halloween. It may or may not. But uh, I'm going to start to get to the point where uh, we talk about uh, different movies. Because I, I know that it's hard to find good films because you're just essentially looking through that algorithm scroll on Netflix when we all see the same shit that they're selling us, you know, and then you just sort of scroll through each of the categories and it's the same films in the categories. Um, there's a bunch of really great movies that have influenced me uh, that I want to share with you guys uh, and uh, try to give you that experience I got when I went to the video store and the guy behind the counter, the older gentleman with the long hair and the weird leather vest uh, would say to me, you don't want to buy it. You don't want to rent this movie. You want to rent this movie. And he'd slide like black rain across the counter at me. So we'll try to do a little bit of that on this show as well. So that's it. Uh, hope you guys liked this episode. I had a blast uh, putting it together for you guys. And um, I'm just going to leave you with another one of uh, my favorite voicemails from my buddy Alex Johnson. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Hey, Mike. Um, I watched the 2011 remake of The Thing over the weekend. Uh, I didn't think it was that bad. Um, but I don't get why it's your favorite movie. Uh I think you should try checking out the John Carpenter version from 1982. I mean, to each his own, but I think that was a little more original. So, I don't know. Give it a watch, man. See if you like it. Bye. <laughs> so, I lied. I'm back. <laughs> uh, basically what I just did is I looked over my schedule and I'm going to try to get this episode out next week. So this one should come out before Halloween. So let me look at the calendar here. Where are we at? It's the 23rd. So this guy is going to drop on the 29th. All right. So that being said, let's give you guys a couple movies to watch. You know, Halloween time. You want to watch some films. You want to dig deep. Find some good stuff, and sure, we can dig through all the classics. You guys can watch Nightmare on Elm Street series. You can watch Friday the 13th series. I mean, honestly, Nightmare on Elm Street's got a couple that are great. The first one's really good. The second one's weird, but good. And then New Nightmare, I guess, was good. That one wasn't bad. New Nightmare was like Wes Craven like practicing his shit for, for the Scream series. Um, and I know a lot of you guys listening are younger. A lot of you guys grew up in the 90s, late 90s, mid 90s. Uh, so you guys were big into the Scream movies. But I, I hate to say it, I'm sorry, but a lot of the shit that came out in the 90s for horror was really bad. <laughs> I know what you did last summer. 
you know, Craft, uh, a bunch of those movies. Uh, and I know all about it because Gina grew up on that. Um, I'm going to take you back a bit further, okay? And let's get, so, let's get weird, man. I'm not going to hit you up with the stuff that you've heard of before. I'm not going to hit you up uh, with the, the low-hanging fruit, as I say, on this show. Uh, let's go deep. And what I've done, being an old man now, uh, I've actually gone to my DVD collection and picked up four DVDs that I want to watch right now. All right, so let's just... What I'm going to do is I'm going to read you the back cover of these DVDs. How's that sound? <laughs> All right, so first up on my selects for you guys to check out, John Carpenter's. John Carpenter is a big part of... Halloween for me. John Carpenter is the man as far as horror is concerned. Uh, his films has, have influenced so many horror, horror film movie directors that you love. Um, and his movies have a very specific tone from the moment that the font that he uses on every one of his movies shows up on screen. You know you're in for a John Carpenter movie. And if we're going to talk about John Carpenter movies, we have to go back to the beginning to the classic, to the movie that I love so much, Assault on Precinct 13. Now, they did a remake of this movie with Lawrence Fishburne. Who else was in it? It sucked. Don't even bother with the remake. Go back to the original. The thing I love about this movie is it's an essentially, it's essentially like a zombie invasion film without zombies, which is interesting. Um, and it's a weird I feel like it could belong in the same universe as Warriors, as The Warriors, which is another movie from the 80s, uh, but it doesn't. But let me read you the back of this thing here. Hear that sound? That's a fucking DVD case, man. Oh, shit. Yeah, DVD case. Assault on Precinct 13. Here's a review. The action is so raw, it doesn't seem choreographed. So fast, it doesn't seem implausible and so intense that you never ask what it's all about. You just hang on. That's from the lyricists over at Entertainment Weekly. <laughs> Isolated, cut off, and inside an abandoned police station, a handful of cops and some convicts on their way to death row must join forces and defend themselves against the gang called Street Thunder, who have taken a blood oath to destroy... From the director of Halloween and The Thing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, surprise, uh, Assault on Precinct 13 combines elements of the classic Western and a modern thriller to create a cult favorite, one of John Carpenter's very best films. I completely agree. So check it out. Assault on Precinct 13, really cool movie. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a scene with that ice cream truck and a little girl that will stick in your minds forever. Uh, next up, Let's see, how do I do this? Let's, uh, let's go with a movie that a lot of you have probably already seen, uh, but a movie that I think is very important. And if you're one of these people that are, have a strong boner for Hereditary, uh, you should probably go watch this movie and then uh, watch Hereditary again and decide what you think about it after that. Nothing negative there. Uh, Rosemary's Baby, right? Starring Mir Farrow, uh, amazing actress. This movie is outstanding. It's directed by Roman Polanski. Uh, whatever your opinion on him as a human being is, 
Uh, you cannot deny the fact that he is an amazing director. Um, and uh, let me just read you the back. Under Roman Polanski's chilling direction, a classic thriller was born Rosemary, uh, played by Mir Farrow, and Guy Woodhouse, uh, played by John Cassavetes, uh, the director, by the way, are newlyweds, but Rosemary has no idea that her wedded bliss is about to come to a horrific end. Her husband's ambition as a struggled actor is about to plunge her into an abyss of terror like she has never known. In exchange for a taste of fame, Guy makes a deal with the devil. Um, that's all. I'm, I'm not going to continue reading this because I don't want to ruin this movie for people who haven't seen it. I can't believe you guys are giving this much away on the back. Have some fucking faith that people are going to pick this DVD up. Unreal. Um, movie's fantastic. Mia Farrow is amazing. She's a strong female lead. Uh, when was this movie made? This movie was made. Let's see. Uh, blah, 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 blah. I could probably look this up on the internet. It'd be faster. 1968. Uh, so she was a kick-ass uh, female lead in 1968. So uh, don't believe uh, the hype that it's something new that is happening. Uh, definitely check it out. The movie's a fantastic study in suspense. It's a fantastic study uh, in uh, deception. Really good fucking movie. Uh, and it's made in the 70s, which... Uh, was the best. If you watch The Joker and you like The Joker, this time period uh, made that movie. All right, so next up, let's uh, go weird, man. Uh, a movie made by one of the uh, biggest directors in Hollywood, one of the director, the director that uh, I think might still hold the record, maybe not after Marvel, but uh, the record for the biggest box offices uh, consecutively with his films. Uh, he has made uh, such movies. He's made movies about uh, famous sinking ships. Uh, he's made movies about uh, uh, space marines. Uh, and he has made movies about uh, blue cat people that uh, run through uh, fluorescent forests. Uh, I am speaking of the man, the master, Mr. James Cameron. And from his collection, I am pulling a goodie called uh, Piranha 2, The Spawning. <laughs> yes, uh, he made Piranha 2, and there's a fascinating story behind it, and I don't know all the details, uh, so I'm going to butcher it, but I think he was hired on this movie as the uh, visual effects guy, and the producers had a problem, had a beef with the director, and I think he ended up uh, just directing it. I think that's what happened. Uh, don't quote me on that, but I remember reading that somewhere. Um, let me read you the back of this classic here. Uh, Club Asylum may seem like a paradise, but just offshore, a new breed of terror has been unleashed. Mm -hmm. uh, and no one is safe from its savage, insatiable hunger. Uh, in the tradition of Anaconda comes a razor-sharp tale of mutant monsters from the deep, directed by James Cameron. So obviously this was a reissue of this movie because they had to list Anaconda, uh, and when they list Anaconda, I think what they're referencing is the camp that comes with that movie. Uh, and then in bold, they wrote that it was directed by James Cameron. And I'm sure this isn't one of the movies that he uh, talks about first when he talks about his uh, a retrospect on his career. Uh, while investigating the mysterious death of a diver, scuba instructor Anne Kimbra, uh, played by Trisha O'Neill, uh, makes a horrific discovery piranha-like fish with wings that can enable them to fly are responsible 
as the body count rises and desperately tries to convince the resort's manager to call off an annual fish fry on the beach. Stakes are high, guys. Uh, But he's determined to give his guests the ultimate feeding frenzy. Feeding frenzy. (laughs) Packed with suspense, amazing special effects, amazing special effects, uh, and featured a heroic performance by the man, Mr. Lance Hendrickson. I fucking love Lance Hendrickson. I would love to work with him. Uh, For those of you who don't know the name, uh, think about the android in Aliens, right? Or... If you're a product of the 90s, I'm sure you stayed up late on Friday nights and watched Millennium. Remember? Same creator that made X-Files also did that show Millennium. Lance was the lead. Awesome fucking actor. Uh, This movie is a fantastic uh, drinking movie. If you're going to have some people over to watch some horror films, and you guys want to laugh, you guys want to... uh, create some drinking game every time a fish flies out of the water or some shit... That is the movie. And watch it with people. These are movies to watch with other people. So invite your friends over. Sit down. Make some fucking pizza rolls. You don't have to be a chef. Order a pizza uh, and pop these movies in. Last selection uh, for Halloween. And this is stuff to to check out for Halloween. This is stuff that you're not going to see on your fucking Netflix queue. Right? You'll find them. You can find them online. They're digitally streaming. A lot of these are streaming for free. Um, Check out all these different online... I'm not going to promote them, but check all these different places. You can find it. Uh, Last one, I am going back to the man, Mr. John Carpenter, but John Carpenter did not direct this movie. Uh, He wrote this movie, and I think he wrote this movie with every intention that he was going to be the one to direct it. Um, But he got pulled off this film to go do another film I think it was The Fog, which is a great movie. This isn't the one I'm suggesting right now, but check out The Fog. The Fog is a fantastic movie. Um, This is my favorite, and I'm going to say this, and people are going to give me shit. This is my favorite film in the franchise. Uh, Halloween 2, Dos. Halloween Dos. Uh, It literally picks up right right from where the first one leaves off. Um, like fucking Michael Myers sits up from the lawn after being tossed out the window and the movie continues. Uh, I always loved that gimmick and it was made years later. Um, and so let's just get into it here. Let's see what's the back of this DVD say. Uh, John Carpenter's Halloween scared the living daylights out of 25 million people and set a precedent for smashing box office records for a horror film. But the nightmare is just beginning. <laughs> That's like, check out how big my dick is. Um, it's very true. Uh, Halloween, the first Halloween movie was an independent film. And it destroyed. It destroyed. And I've uh, heard interviews uh, with Carpenter. Uh, and he, was, he didn't even think it was going to be as successful as it was. And I think the people putting it out didn't have faith in it. Uh, and, but it just caught, it caught on. It's a great movie. Uh, Picking up precisely where the predecessor left off, Halloween 2 follows the same ill-fated characters as they encounter the knife-wielding maniac that they left for dead in the first Halloween. It seems the inhuman Michael Myers... Let's stop there for a second. This is the problem that I have with all of the after movies. You know, like the the sequels, the fucking uh, remakes, rather, uh, is that everybody wants to humanize our villains. 
Uh, one thing I love that John Carpenter did with the original Michael Myers is that he was a force of nature. He was just pure evil, pure evil that was chasing you down. And the thing that's great about that is that as an audience member, you're not focused on like, did his family beat him? Was his mom an alcoholic? Like none of that shit. You were just focused on what was immediately happening in that situation. It was A plus B equals C. That's what makes Mad Max Fury Road a great movie. That's what makes these movies great movies is that they're not afraid to just through technique and through storytelling take you on an immediate scary adventure. And that's what this movie is. So, uh, let's get back into it. Uh, it seems the inhuman Michael Myers is still very much alive and out for more revenge as he stalks the deserted halls of a hospital where his sister lays waiting. Uh, as he gets closer and closer to his terrified target, uh, Dr. Loomis uh, discovers the chilling mystery behind the crazed psychopath's savage actions uh, written by the horror masters John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. They partnered up on this Halloween, and I think they also did The Fog. Um, amazing movies. Halloween 2 is a spine-chilling dark ride into the scariest night of the year. This is a movie to watch Halloween night, right? Watch the first Halloween movie the night before so you can catch yourself up. But this is the one to watch while kids are trick-or-treating. There are some tracking shots in this movie that are fucking phenomenal. And that new remake that they just made, Danny McBride and those guys, they obviously liked this movie. Obviously liked this movie. Watch this movie and then understand how those people made that. And that's what I like about films. Films influence all of us directors, and we are so moved and uh, inspired by what we watch that we want to do that again. We want to recreate that again. And this has been going on for years and years and years. Uh, Lucas and Spielberg doing Kurosawa, um, you know, uh, John Carpenter doing Howard Hawks, uh, and now you're into a whole time period of, of, of people that are doing Spielberg and that are doing Carpenter. Uh, it's the movies that scared the fucking piss out of us when we were kids. Uh, and uh, I want to scare the piss out of you. So watch these films and put your fucking phones down when you watch these movies. And don't pause it. Like shun somebody if they ask you to pause the movie. Keep it rolling. Because that tension that is being built is not meant to be stopped so that you can go in the kitchen and get those pizza rolls. Prep your food. Have it out. Have it ready to go. Play the movie. Have everybody in that space. Have a fucking good time. And don't pause it. Just roll through it and shun that asshole that is on his fucking phone. And that's you, man. Put it down. Get rid of it. I hate that shit. You gonna come hang out with me? Your phone's in a basket in the kitchen. I feel like a mom. Leave your phones in the basket. Yes, do it. Anyway, I'm ranting and raving. I promise this is the end of this episode. <laughs> All right, enjoy Halloween, guys. Bye.